Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of The Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, uh, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist, and I've been studying coincidences for quite a while, probably starting when I was eight or nine, and I had my first big one. It kind of like lost my dog, and I got lost, and we found each other. Um, so he got lost, I got, and we found each other. So how did that happen? And I've had other things happen since then that have made me quite interested in studying them. And so, because you know, I have a scientific training, I did a lot of uh, clinical research, getting data together about panic disorder and chest pain. I have some sense of being able to categorize things and seeing the variables that make up the whole. And when trying to understand how coincidences can be understood and looked at, uh, there, are, there are several or a bunch of moving parts. And the coincidences, if you think of them, they're like diamonds uh, with facets to them. And each of the facets has something to say about what the whole is. And the facets are not the same. It's more like the blind men and the elephant. There's different parts to it that make up the whole. Various terms like synchronicity and serendipity and seriality and simultaneity describe some parts of that elephant that, are, that make up coincidences, but not the whole thing. There are different explanations, different uses. Uh, it's a fascinating puzzle, uh, and I'm trying to find order in it. We'll be talking today with my guest today, Jessica, about how to understand these things. One of the, one of the interesting things to me is that meaningful coincidences uh, also provide clues to how our minds and brains work and how we're connected to our environment and how reality in general works. But the basic line of my work is to encourage you to tell each other coincidence stories. Some of our coincidence ambassadors come along and say to people that they've met, said, could you tell me a coincidence story? And they say, what? And they, you know, a coincidence story to give an example. And they hear stories because they happen a lot to each person, but we don't talk about them. So you don't see them so well. I read about this in my new book called Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. Uh, you can pre-order it. It's going to be out September 6th. Uh, so it's, it's almost out by the time you listen to this and, and watch this. And you'll see something about what Jess and I are talking about today. It's how to understand, categorize these meaningful coincidences. Uh, for example, one of the things that coincidences do sometimes is kind of imply to you what you should do with them. And they're not just happening. There's a kind of implicit message in some of them if you're paying attention to them. And it's not a command. It's a suggestion usually. And you can hear it or not. So on my 31st birthday, 
I was choking uncontrollably while my father was choking to death on his own blood 3,000 miles away. This coincidence seemed to be saying to me, remember Carl Beitman, remember your father. And I am. I honor his memory by using this coincidence to help others recognize that simulpathy is not an uncommon human experience. My guest today is Jessica Price Jones, who is uh, a lot of things, really. She's pretty funny. It's one thing. Uh, and she's pretty smart. She's a coincidence ambassador and she's on our board and she's a sharp person, man. She's really got stuff clear and she likes to say what she thinks and she's right a lot of the times, but not always. And she knows when she's not. Uh, she started her career in finance where she learned a lot about numbers, strategy and leadership. After 10 years in the corporate world, she did a psychology degree she wanted to understand why some of her bosses were brilliant and others were idiots. Um, frankly, dismal, I mean. Those insights launched a new career facilitating coaching, designing interventions in businesses, and writing. Her coachees, that's not, a, a, that's not an Indian name. That's like her people she coached. And delegates tell her she's warm, funny, challenging, and rooted in practicality, all of which I agree with. Most importantly, she believes in using hard, soft, and intuitive information to get to the heart of complex and opaque professional issues. Tapping into this different knowledge gives fresh insight into how to solve problems, particularly around our worries, work, and well-being. That's a great line, Jess. <laughs> Glad you like it, Bernie. <laughs> I, I really think we have coincidences a lot around our worries, our work, and our well-being. They're the things that preoccupy us. Amen. <laughs> uh, she's worked as an adjunct faculty member to a whole list of business schools, uh, Cambridge and Chicago Booth, and Har she's, she's also a fellow at Harvard's Institute of Coaching. And she's written two books, Happiness at Work, Maximizing Your Psychological capital for success and running great meetings and workshops for dummies. And she's trying to finish a third one, intuition at work. I think there's a double meaning to that intuition at work, but I don't know. What do I know about words? Huh? Uh, I think there's a double meaning. It's, it's, not, it's a clever title. When she's not working, she beats up. No, she <laughs> loves weightlifting. All right. Uh, she loves weightlifting and walking her dog in the woods. Jess, thanks for suggesting indirectly that we have this uh, conversation. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you, Bernie. You're you're welcome. Uh, and uh, uh, why don't you before we get into a story, we're going to hear about a story. Why don't you tell Why don't you tell us how come we're doing this? Well, I was interested in categorizing some of the coincidences that I've had and that other people have been telling me about and so I just thought it would be it would be great to have a chat given that your book is coming out and you know I'm wrestling with this subject myself so I, I'd like to kind of like you know tear it apart a bit and peer at the insides of how you oh, think it is oh, tear it <laughs> apart oh, a bit. oh that can be fun that can be fun when you say that you're tearing it apart and you're trying to answer this question about 
what are they? How do we categorize them? How, how, what, what have you done with that question yourself? Well, you heard about my worries, work and well-being um, being a way of, of looking at them. But, you know, um, you, you were talking about your father and um, how you woke up choking when he was dying, as, as he was dying. And I, I have one about a child as well. And so my daughter, um, a long time ago now, but she was born on my birthday. And, you know, I've, for her entire life, I've been thinking, okay, that's a coincidence because she wasn't due on my birthday, which she now refers to as our birthday and always has done. She was due two weeks before. And uh, they said to me, right, we're going to take you in and we're going to induce you unless you can do this yourself. So I thought, okay, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how you kickstart your uh, a birth, but um, I'll think about this. <laughs> And uh, she was born the following day, which, you know, was, was my birthday. But I always had this strong sense that she would be. On the other hand, you know, how do you hold on to a baby so that it's not born? Um, yeah, I know the human mind is, is capable of, of amazing things. But to me, the coincidence of that has, for me, meant that I've, I pay special attention to all my children, but I pay special attention, I think about her, in a way that I don't think about my two boys because of the this coincidence of her being born on my birthday. So how would you categorize that? Well, before we get to that, uh, as part of getting to your, your, your question, we, be, we can begin to wonder about how that happened. And you kind of briefly mentioned that uh, the human body can do various things. Um, well, there's, there's the, the old funny story about uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, and John Adams dying on the same day, which also happened to be the 50th anniversary of their signing of the United States Declaration of Independence in, on, in 1825, July 4th. And they both died on the same day, 50 years later. Now, that's the way the word coincidence got into the English language from that story, from that. And they kind of knew what they were doing because I forget who it was, but one of them asked, is the other one dead yet? Because they knew they were both dying. So then he could, the one who asked that could go too. there's a certain flexibility we have in a narrow range to be able to determine at least some of the time when we are dying. And we have to wonder if maybe you wanted to have a twin, uh, which you've got. Uh, astrologically speaking, not exactly because the birth charts change with time, but in the simplest form of it, she's your astrological twin. And you do have a birthday together. It's our birthday. So it's bringing you together. It brought you together in a way that a different birthday might not have. So I look at the impact of your simultaneous thing with your daughter. And I look at the meaning to you and those begin to add some elements to the probability and to the outcome. Because as you heard from me talking about my father, the coincidence gave me a bit of instructions about what to do. And that, and with you and your daughter having the same birthday, there was an implicit message to you and to her about 
what to do with that? And what would you say that implicit message was? It's, for me, it's about just um, really pay attention to this child. So she's um, she's had difficulties. We all do, don't we? She's a highly sensitive person. Um, and her two brothers uh, don't have the same sensibility and sensitivity that she has. And so I guess it's just always made me just check 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 one more time check one more time with her um just t- tune in a, a little bit more um so for me i uh, i think that the kind of the the, the flash in my mind is, is has been pay attention i see you making faces bernie i'm not going <laughs> Challenge me on that one. I'm making faces because I don't. I'm. Uh, it's there's something more here is than what you're saying, and I can't make a question out of it. So I was going like that because <laughs> I couldn't form the question with my lips. Uh, but there's, it's pay attention. Um, there's a there's a quality of twins. Mm-hmm. that uh, makes them tune into each other um, more than um, even non-twin relatives might. Now, they're often really connected to each other. And, and it's the identical twins coming from the same egg are even closer than fraternal. But you're, you're kind of a fraternal twins with your, not the right word, I don't like fraternal here, uh, a sorority version of this, um, uh, twins. And and there's something about being able to feel each other, um, feel each other's experience that I'm talking, that I'm asking you about. There's a, a mirroring that you are doing with each other, we, which the world does with us anyway, but that will be more intense with you and your daughter. Um, does that does that go anyplace with you? Yeah, I think so. Um, I would say that it's um, an, in, has there's an intensity to the relationship. And uh, I've often wondered, you know, is it, is it mother-daughter? Because, you know, she's my only daughter. Um, it, it's different. It is different than the relationship I have with my boys. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's always been playing in my mind. What does this, what does this mean? Um, and I think that meaning is, is yeah. so important with this, you know, coincidence is there to, to help us unravel meaning. It, it, I think it, it, it's, one, it's one of the things, you know, they, they give us joy in our life. They're amusing. They're funny. They're serious. They're surprising. And my father had a really crazy coincidence. Um, should I tell you about it briefly? Go ahead. So my dad, um, this is back in the early 80s, and he was on a train. Um, he's a, a journalist, a writer, and... Uh, collector of valuable books and he was going to advise someone on their library so he was and what they should sell and what they should keep and so he was on this train and he noticed that the family sitting next to him had two very smartly dressed little girls in those kind of coats which nobody wears anymore with velvet collars and the train stopped the family got off and he noticed there was a commotion on the uh, that side, and then he looked up and realized that this man had left his briefcase. But by the time he'd opened the windows, was dangling out with the briefcase and thinking, you know, what's can I throw this? It was too late. 
So he kept the briefcase and then he opened it up. And in it, he found the defense plans for Australia. And they were marked as, as, as being copy eight of 10. And he found um, some very um, large denomination um, bank drafts as well. And he, he thought, well, obviously, I close this up. I get to where I'm going. I call up and say, I want to speak to Dr. Preston, whose briefcase it was. He calls the Australian High Commission in London, says, I want to speak to Dr. Preston. They say that nobody of that name works here. So he thinks, okay, does his work. And just before he gets on the train to go back to London, he tries one more time. And this time he says, could I be put through to the military attache instead? Gets put through. The guy says, we want, this, we want the briefcase back. So they know exactly what he's got. And he goes, no problem. He, and he meets them on the train at the other end. A week later in London, and he knows no Australians in London. He's not part of an Australian milieu at all. He goes out for dinner a week later and is describing this, you know, how I found the defence plans of Australia on a train. <laughs> and, <laughs> and is describing this at his dinner. And there's it's a small dinner. There's only eight people there. And he notices that one of the men there is isn't enjoying this story. And after dinner, he says, I, I saw you didn't enjoy my story. Why is that? You know, what is it for you? And the guy said, I'm the Aust Australian High Commissioner. I haven't heard this. This is the first I know about it. And I do not like going out for dinner in London and discovering that the defence plans of Australia have been in your hands. Now, what, you know, the, the great thing is that with coincidence, you know, what are the odds? What are the chances? My dad has not been out for dinner with any Australians before or since. So, and I said to him, what do you think it means? And he couldn't really give me an answer. Um, he, he avoided the question. So I've been, I asked him to tell me the story again last week. And I've been thinking, you know, what does that really, how can we unpack that? Um, you know, what, what was that? Um, and I guess, you know, coincidence, there's always two parties in it. So the coincidence might not have been meaningful. Well, it was meaningful to my father because it was so unexpected. But the consequences might have been different for the high commissioner. And so in in this, you know, you, you've got these two parties in there, haven't you? Because it will be meaningful to both of them in extremely different ways. So I'd love your view on that, Bernie. It's so important what you said, Jess, about two people involved. Uh, I'm uh, guilty of focusing on the one person telling the story uh, too often. And the, the point of the other person being involved needs to be emphasized uh, more and more because there it is two people involved with this. So it, it ended up being a message to the high commissioner about uh, the guy who left the briefcase, that he's a sloppy guy, and he's got to look at anybody else who's also being sloppy in this way. That is very, that's a very bad mistake for that guy to have made. Isn't and, it just? <laughs> yeah. And now the high commissioner knew about it. 
what the value of it was after that, we don't know. But your father was uh, a messenger uh, between the guy with the lost briefcase and the high commissioner. So your father was was a just a player in the middle in between these two. I'd suggest, and for some reason, the high commissioner needed to know it. I think can guess why he needed to know that, um, and that he delivered his message. You've got a guy that's not taking care of business. Um, thank you. Then there's the kind of the reciprocal stuff, and and you, I, I sent you a video clip of the assistant purser on the Titanic. That was a good video clip, wasn't it? Yes, it was really really interesting to see that. Yes, and I think uh, it, it's going to be a little hard to go through that, but I think uh, the coincidence was that the the purser tried to save some woman on the ship and he ended up in a lifeboat sitting next to her. That's what I took you trying to be able to say. Well, I think it was a joint thing because he saved her life by saying, get in the lifeboat. And then she saved his life by giving her, uh, he, giving him his cut the coat because he was, had been in the water for 20 minutes. And ah. the, so yeah. for me, it was a kind of reciprocal, Absolutely. you know, um, kind of perfect figure of eight, man, woman, life save, life save. You know, the infinity symbol came into my mind when I was when I watched that clip. The how did the infinity symbol get into your mind? Well, uh, the two life savings and the male, male female um, thing. Huh. You said that's the the what popped into my head. Well, um, the, the fun of my doing this is that. I have particular views based on my own experience and I never would have come up with an infinity sign on that one because that you're adding uh, something that I can't know. And it illustrates very clearly this difference here uh, that we need other people to be able to understand a coincidence like this one. Uh, and the whole field of coincidence studies needs other people in it. And we can't really tolerate people who are saying this is the way it is because we don't know uh, if there's too much ambiguity, as you have just described in my book. Uh, there's a, a fairly famous story um, that has been titled One Good Tourniquet Deserves Another. It's uh, about a, a police officer who found somebody uh, bleeding and put a tourniquet on him. And five years later, uh, the same guy uh, found the police officer needing, uh, also bleeding, and he put a tourniquet on the police officer. So that, that, that idea of reciprocal help and saving is a, a trope in the coincidence business. It's a, it's a thing that's been out there that I've been able to see so it becomes a category of coincidences to get to what we're talking about. And the kind of way that I like to do it, it's my favorite way, really, is to be able to take one coincidence, like the purser and the woman saving each other, and be able to see it not as a one-off thing, but as something that is an example of a, a subset of coincidence types. 
So how do you categorize um, coincidences, Bernie? Well, it's uh, you gotta, you've got my book now, so you can see how I go through them. So It looks complicated. Because it is. Uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather call it complex um, okay. than complicated um, because it's possible to make sense out of this complexity. Uh, the, the, the first way that people have been categorizing coincidences is with the terms serendipity and synchronicity. Those are like the favorites. And it turns out mostly that in the United States and the other countries on this side of the Atlantic, they love synchronicity a lot and don't pay much attention to serendipity. And in Europe, serendipity has become a subject of academic research. So there, <clears throat> there is the Serendipity Society uh, that is trying to make it uh, a part of uh, academic discourse by creating research in how serendipities happen and maybe how they work. So the two of them are relatively different in their basics, but there's a lot of overlap. So a lot of people use synchronicity to describe serendipity and some people use serendipity to describe what we might call synchronicity. Well, so how do I separate them out? Um, well, I, I, it's helpful to start from the be beginning where the, et the etymology of the word came from. And Jung, and mother, people, people listening to me might, won't remember this because <laughs> they don't want to, because uh, it's not the way things are right now. And words do change in their usages, that's for sure. But Jung used the term in German, meaningful coincidences. He did not use the word synchronicity to describe meaningful coincidences. He used the word synchronicity to describe an a-causal connecting principle. Synchronicity for Jung was a name for explaining how meaningful coincidences take place. Now, that's gotten lost because everybody likes to use synchronicity. It's such a great word uh, for meaningful coincidences. But that ambiguity about the definition uh, from the beginning has allowed a lot of ambiguity. But the way the word synchronicity is used these days, what I can tell, is it's more interpersonal, more psychological, and more spiritual. And there are Jungians who say they don't want to use the word synchronicity unless it's a coincidence that's helping someone evolve psychologically. That's a kind of firm definition. But Jung got into the spiritual nature of synchronicities as well. So there's a psychological, interpersonal, and spiritual element to uh, synchronicity, where with serendipity, it's much more um, like the um, Australian uh, um, commandant, was it the Australian leader, the uh, uh, head of uh, that, whatever. Who, the high commissioner. The high commissioner, thank you. The high commissioner, um, for him, it was serendipity to find out about the, uh, about the briefcase because he just showed up. He didn't go out often your father didn't go out very often uh with australians particularly and there the serendipity was a thing it's information that helped the high commissioner so serendipity is usually about things that help it's usefulness 
Uh, it can be a pe person, too, who shows up at the right time to help you. Uh, and that becomes a little bit where you want to get us some overlap between the two because it's also interpersonal. But serendipity usually is about finding something you need. And Horace Walpole, who invented the term, uh, described himself as being able to find things he needed just when he needed them. And so he came up with the word serendipity uh, to describe his ability to do that when he needed to. So that's that is has continued uh, in, into the present where those are two basic position differences between synchronicity and serendipity. So what do you think of them, Apples, Jess? I, I think that's useful. Um, it's very useful. I mean, I, you, you brought to mind the, the time when I went for coffee with someone and he said, stay on. And I did stay on. And I met his, he said, just stay on for 10 minutes, meet the guy, you, you'll like him. And it was a man called um, Michael Hay, Professor Michael Hay, who was at, worked at the time. He was um, Associate Dean of the Sloan Program at London Business School. And at that time, I was thinking, do I take this contract for a full-time job? Do I go freelance? You know, what do I do? And Michael said to me, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I do coaching and I do training and this is what I do. And he said, oh, I'm looking for someone like you. Please go talk to my program director. And I know, Bernie, you've got a phrase for this, the, the human GPS. Uh, anyway, the long and the short of it was, was that three weeks later, I had a contract for 10 days, which was enough to make me think, right, I don't accept the job job and I will try this freelance route because I, I, I had 10 days work from London Business School. And, you know, that was, it was the right place, the right thing, the right place, the right time. Uh, I, and I do think that that, that was that serendipity because it was help. Definitely serendipity, but it was also synchronicity because it, yeah. helped, it helped you uh, make a very important decision for your life. So it, it was, uh, you know, uh, it was psychotherapeutic for you, you know, or, or as <laughs> yeah. guidance counseling for you. Uh, so that it became uh, psychologically important to you, as well as business important to you. So this is where you get overlaps. But then when you talk about it this way, then you begin to like say, well, there are some limitations to the uses of the word synchronicity and serendipity because you get this overlap. Where else do we go with it? So we look at outcomes. So outcomes are a way of categorizing things. Is it good, bad, somehow? Uh, and the outcomes we, we are again looking at are uh, interpersonal, psychological, spiritual, or practical, but they become a little more accessible than having to use these lovely terms, synchronicity and serendipity. There are, so, But they're not as fancy, it's not as much fun. Uh, they're just pragmatics but you and i are very interested in pragmatics so we're talking about the meaning and meaning oh meaning the meaning of meaning the meaning That's of meaning, meaning. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and the meaning of meaning is the name of a book written in 1923 which is impossible for me to read 
because it's full of a lot of uh, logic and formulas and stuff. But that's was still impressed the last time I looked a couple of years ago. It's the term meaning of meaning gets you a little into a convoluted thing because we have different meanings to the word meaning. And I can play around with it and only do a little bit, but uh, mean, M-E-A-N, is both being nasty and also average in, in mathematics. Mm-hmm. So the word meaning has a lot of different, and there's more, a lot of different aspects to it. So when you want to talk about the meaning of something, then as part of the coincidence study, I try to be able to say, well, what kinds of meaning do you mean? Just to be fun. What kind of meanings are you talking? What kind of, what are you, what are you talking about? Because one of the meanings that I enjoy is how coincidences tell us about how reality works. That's in a meaning. That's an explanation, not a use. The two primary meanings for people tend to be explanation and use. Those are the two major ones. So you, you begin to then categorize them by use and explanation. And it's interesting. Um, the, I had a coincidence a couple of days ago. I was looking for a non-meaningful coincidence. A non-meaningful and, coincidence. All right. yes. <laughs> and I immediately had one. I was... I was uh, going to do um, some research. I was researching someone I was about to interview uh, who was uh, the CEO of McLaren, the Formula One uh, outfit. And I thought, I really need to understand something about McLaren before I talk to this guy. And so I was looking up his drivers and I saw that one of the drivers' name was Lando Norris. Now, Lando is a name I've never heard before. Uh, but it just kind of it rolled around my tongue a bit. So I said, it, Lando. And, and then I, I had a list of papers that I wanted that I just got the, you know, the DOIs. And the first one that I clicked on when I'd done that research was by a woman, uh, and her name was T. Lando. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Two Landos in a very <laughs> within half an hour, but it's not meaningful to me because I'm not invested really in either of these. So it was, if you like, it was almost like a, it was it was a meta coincidence um, because there was it was a coincidence I was looking for, but it didn't really. I, ma, you know the Italians have a great expression, ma, ma. I didn't care. So uh, well. Uh- I get those a lot. Um, today, I, a friend of mine was complaining about my text message getting mixed up with his email or something, and I, I didn't, I didn't need this early in the morning, but okay, that's what he was doing. Um, and so then I go back and start reading uh, this book I'm reading by Thomas Pinchon called. Um, Vineland. It's about ex-hippies from San Francisco and L.A. living in north of San Francisco. And I, I know where they're talking about. Vineland was a made-up place. And I love reading about the San Francisco part of it, but that's just a side part of this. So I'm reading in Vineland, and they're talking about uh, technological difficulties, which I was just having with my friend. And the way I take those, and I get those a lot, just like that Lando thing, and I go, ha, 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 you're playing with me. This is, this is whatever this computer game we might be in is messing with you. 
it's it's trying to say ha 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 it's like it's like if they're behind a, a pillar and they put their face out for a second and you see it and they're laughing at you and then they disappear and then you and your idea is to like whatever you want to do with it what i do is laugh and it's kind of a kind of a a, a, a little humor during the day it's like uh, it's like funny to me it and it's because it's a it's those guys are making fun with me that's what i think I thought it was a meta, co a, a, a meta coincidence because I was looking for a non-meaningful coincidence and then it was immediately provided to me, if you see what I mean. So that's yes, how it, yeah. it felt like a meta so, coincidence. So, so, it, yeah. so that's, that's meaningful in the sense yes. that you were looking for it. And now, Miss Jessica Price-Jones, yes, we <laughs> get to another aspect of explaining coincidences which is namely precognition as, as a form of coincidence. And I believe I'm talking to a person who uh, does a little bit of that with herself, as I recall. Yes, no, um, I, I do. And uh, there's one I haven't um, shared with you, which I, I was thinking about quite a lot the other day. Um, and it goes back to well-being. So when I was 19, I worked on a kibbutz in Israel. And we I had I had the most terrible <laughs> job, which was picking up stones in the orchard where they grew all the avocados. And me and another girl whose name was Tali, who was a, she did live on the kibbutz, we had to do this. And we were we literally, for hours, would follow a tractor, which is driving very slowly, and you just bend over, pick up stones, and chuck them on the trailer. And the satisfaction was they gave a very nice clatter when they landed on the trailer. But well, we did that from four in the morning till eight, and then we go and, and have something to eat, have some breakfast, and do some, some more work after breakfast. But... The, the guy who was driving the tractor um, was a man called Stuart. And we sat, Tali and I sat on the back because we went from one field to another. And I, I was 19, as I said. And Stuart, we were just going up a slight incline and he stopped the tractor to change the gear, to get into a higher gear because we were going quite slowly. And the tractor just started very gently rolling back down the slope. And I, um, very quickly, I jumped off the tractor and I was shouting at Tali, jump, jump, jump. And um, I, I felt this kind of rising panic. Anyway, she did jump off and literally... Three seconds later, the tractor and the trailer jackknifed. Um, and the man who was driving it was then thrown, unfortunately, under the wheel of the tractor. Um, and it killed him. And that was my first time of going, OK, you know, I wasn't skilled at knowing about how tractors move or anything else. But for me, and afterwards, Tali said, how did you know to, to jump? And how did you know to shout at me? And I'm going, I cannot tell you. I, I can't tell you, but I knew. Um, so that was what, what one of my earlier 
precognitions. And so we proceed to a bit of categorization. Yes, please. Uh, um, and with precognition, um, the categorizations that I'm using have to do with duration between the precognitive image and the event itself. And th this is very short time with you. Uh, there's a story of a famous writer uh, just moving when a bullet went by his head when he was uh, in South Africa. And a story of a guy in a drugstore uh, a long time ago just ducking enough when a bullet came through the front door. Um, that somehow we can sense when something's about, about to happen and can move. Then there are medium length, whatever you mean by five minutes to maybe a day or so, precognitions where you kind of like a day before uh, dance the other day, I had this image of a guy who hadn't shown up very often, uh, Brian, uh, and I just kind of imagined him there briefly and I kind of remembered it and there was Brian uh, and I told him and he was delighted to be recognized in this both ways. Uh, and then there are, there are longer term precognitions that have been studied, including coming back to the Titanic um, and other disasters. And people argue about this. Rational people argue that it's just coincidence or random. But uh, a lot of people for 9-11 and for other major catastrophes have a sense. Don't go into the office building uh, in downtown New York City. Don't get on the Titanic, much like you learn to jump off. But they get it. They get it earlier. They get it with a longer distance between the imagining of the future and having it happen. And so when you come across someone like um, David Spiegelhalter, um, <laughs> who just says, well, it's all about big data and you have enough, you know, you have enough uh, data points, of course you're going to find that stuff. Now, how, do, how do we deal with those, that kind of pushback? Um, we um, mentioned also that David Spiegelhalter, who is the head of the Cambridge um, improbability or prob improbability study or something like that, um, where they get people to tell online their coincidence stories. When I interviewed him, he was very compassionate with me and tried and told me very clearly, trying to understand the explanations for coincidences is bad for your psychological health. To which I said, thank you, David Spiegelhalter, for letting me know. Um, so he's, a, he's, he's also a kind of a funny guy um, in, in his own ways. But that's something else. Uh, what we have to say with David Spiegelhalter and, um, and a, a colleague of his in London, um, who's wrote about the, the improbability principle, um, that they're right, but not entirely right. It, the human mind, particularly some people, love categorization into yes or no, right or wrong, good or bad. And so the probability guys like to say, if it's true that they're 
probabilities have something to do with coincidences. That's the full explanation. And there are others on the other on the other side who say it's all divine intervention. It's divine intervention. Uh, so there are both both groups say there are no coincidences because you can say. I know how to explain them. And when you can explain a coincidence, it's no longer a coincidence. It's just a fact that you know how it happened. They both can't be right. Divinity. Probability. They can't both be right. They'll be for various reasons because of where I am in this world, in this life. Uh, I look to personal responsibility in addition to mystery and random chance or probability. Every coincidence, and this is part of the anatomy of a coincidence, which is one of the early chapters of my book. Part of the anatomy of a coincidence is to recognize they all have a probability of happening, even though we can't necessarily determine some of those yet. And many of them have a mystery, like how do your father end up on a train next to a guy who's like got this briefcase and he leaves it there for your father to pick up and give it to the high commissioner or tell the high commissioner about it. Those are mystery, really. We don't know how those things happen, but those mystery ones are the fun ones because I imagine myself as a kind of Sherlock Bernie, Sherlock <laughs> Holmes. Ah, I, the fair maiden has come to me with a problem and I want to see if I can figure out the puzzle. So in order to figure out the puzzle uh, in science, we start with being able to categorize things. It's really hard for people to know that any good science starts with, or most of them starts with categorization. And so I've gotten to what you've asked me about before, about a basic way of describing all these coincidences, a basic way of describing them, because they all are made up of two elements. And, and this is like what modern science likes to do is get down to the, the pieces that make up a thing. That's materialism. We think of things as being able to be explained when you get down to further and further details. Well, this is consistent with modern science to say that mind and object are the two fundamental aspects of coincidences, of all of them. You have to have a mind and another mind or a mind and an object or two objects that run, that connect with each other, that are similar to each other. That's seriality, which I haven't mentioned much. So let me stop there and Can see Can you give me an example? Can you give me an example, so, of mind, object? Mind, of mind, object? Yeah, or just mind, um, object, object. Yeah, so to, to yeah. illustrate what you mean. Yeah, yeah well, you've given, us, you've given us several of them. Uh, you had just simply uh, a, an image in your mind of having a non-meaningful coincidences, and there you got the Landau's. So it's your mind, and then the object is the Landau's. And it's important to distinguish that mind is only something you can report. 
your thoughts, where object is something anybody else could see, object, so it can be seen by somebody else. So these mind-object ones are probably the most common ones. Um, just even your uh, having, I guess, coffee with somebody and sticking around, you needed to have a decision made about which direction to go. That was your need, your image. And then somebody shows up who helps you make that decision. You had it in your mind. And he was the object who helped you decide which direction to go. So a person can be an object. A person can be an object. Yeah. A person okay. can be an object. We, we tend, I think with, when you get to people, you get to be uh, in the, in the synchronicity serendipity conundrum. But if they're, this is gets away from that, that is it synchronicity? Is it serendipity? It just gets away from that. It's mind and object that there's something important about the distinction and similarity between synchronicity and serendipity but here we're talking about take any coincidence and you'll be able to do mind mind object mind mind object or object object and object object i i mean a thing outside of you that is visible to anybody who looks so i know somebody who's had thousands of monkey images appear to her in ways that were meaningful to her, but sometimes just a lot of them because they're making fun of her and they're, they're monkeying around with her just to put her in a different way. Uh, and she's seen lots of those, lots of monkeys, not just real monkeys, but mostly images, words, uh, comic books, uh, illustrations, covers of, uh, uh, for wrapping uh, presents, they're, they just show up to her all the time, but she's tuned to seeing them too. And that's an important part of it because her mind is ready for them. So those are object, object ones. Uh, the camera was uh, the guy who started that one. Cameron. Cameron, K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R. Paul Cameron, uh, Australian, Austrian rather, Australian uh, botanist um, who... 1919. Yes, thank you. <laughs> the, law um, of the law of seriality, yes. So just going back to, um, so, so an object essentially is anything that's verifiable by somebody else. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And mind is something that is um, within, it's in, in, in trust. Interpersonal. It just belongs to me. <laughs> Intra. In your Intra. mind. In my it, head, yes. In your head. And um, the only inter way. between us. It, it, it's not between because no. uh, it's we're talking about only you can see it. So um, if you started seeing with this um, monkey lady, um, <laughs> if you started seeing monkeys with her, would that be object to object? Once I started seeing monkeys with her, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I, the monkeys, again, are verifiable by somebody else. But okay. being primed to see the monkeys is what you're asking for. And then we get into some blurs about this because I have the monkey idea in my mind. In order for her to see monkeys, she has to have the idea of monkeys yes. in her mind. So the mind is part of the seriality. 
you have to register one to be able to see the other. And so what about people who then say, okay, it's your uh, RAS, it's your reticular activating system, which is behind confirmation bias. And so this is just confirmation bias writ large. I think there's something to that. Okay. Um, the, the, tr the, trouble, the trouble again, and I, 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 it's always worth repeating, is that um, people want one explanation. Um, and confirmation bias is a very important part of this. I am trying to increase confirmation bias by getting people to tell each other coincidence stories. I want to confirm the idea and help people see it that coincidences happen a lot. So that's, that's a confirmation bias that I'm trying to get going out there. And the coincidence ambassadors are doing that. Maybe we can find another word for bias. Um, uh, because bias has kind of got a bad rap, hasn't it? I mean, people, no, you know, bias. Bleh. So does the number 13. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, I know somebody for whom 13 is a wonderful uh, idea, but what I'm so impressed with is um, how words can be transformed into new meanings. Mm -hmm. So the more we use the word bias in a positive way, it becomes uh, a positive idea as well, rather than having okay. to come up with a new term. Okay, fine. Sold. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> And you ain't a great, you ain't an easy sell, sell either. I got to, I got to tell that. Well, it does seem easier than finding a new word. Well, it, it, it is. I, one of my favorites is like, uh, is like restaurant. McDonald's used to be just a drive-in uh, or then a kind of fast food place. Now it's a restaurant. Right. <laughs> well, here in France, they call them restos. So everything's got an, an O on the end of it to shorten it. Uh, so you can, we, can, we can turn it into a, a, a resto. <laughs> huh. And rem remember, everybody, she's in France. I'm in France. She's in La France. belle France. Not France. She's in France. I'm in France. France. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Bernie, is there any other way that we should be looking at the coincidences that, that we have and going, okay, and... and, and trying to categorize them and and think about them um one of the uh one of my favorites as i've mentioned is the is the um clues to uh, how reality works uh we've talked about uses like personal uses um spiritual psychological um like get think get something that you need uh but i'm curious about how reality works because now I know, I always felt that in going to school, they weren't telling me something. In school, they weren't telling me something. Yeah, liberal arts education, but they were missing something. And I, I began to understand that missing something uh, by being a part-time hippie in San Francisco in the late uh, 60s, where I could see signs that said synchronicity spoken here that they were seeing a lot of them. And I was seeing a lot of coincidences. I couldn't remember them all. There were too many of them. And these things were telling me something about how reality works, because I am, among other things, curious about what's going on here. This life we're leading just doesn't seem like we got enough of a picture of how it works. And these coincidences are serving as they have served humanity 
since the beginning as ways of finding out how things work. So, um, yeah, they're kind of, I always feel that they're markers on a path, aren't they? Um, but what about a bad coincidence? Thank you. I was, that's another, that's, that's another variation on this. Um, uh, categorizing by uh, quality of outcome. And that's a problem. As I go through in my book, I didn't really, it's meaningful coincidences. Uh, I thought, yeah, good, bad. But then when I got into it, sometimes it depends on who you're talking about. There are often two people involved. So it's, a coincidence can be good for one person and bad for another person. Uh, a friend of mine was at uh, a conference in London and um, struck up uh, a, a really good relationship with uh, one of the women there. And he really liked her and they had a great time together the first day. But then it kind of petered out uh, that first day. And then they saw each other the next day and they were wearing the same outfits practically. She was mostly black with a little white in each one of them. So he says, wow, this means... This means we got a thing going here. And she says, no, this black is a sign of the funeral of our relationship. <laughs> so he thought it was going to be good. She had, she had enough of them. And that was, that was the end of it. So for him, the coincidence looked good for a moment. And for her, it wasn't. And over time, a coincidence can look really good to both people. Um, and the most common way this happens is uh, the coincidence of relationships, where the relationship is so wonderful and so coincidence-fueled uh, that the, the coincidence kind of melts the boundaries between the two of them, and they're really into each other. And then what's called the real world strikes, and they got to work on their relationship, and they don't, and so it ends. But sometimes that ending is still good for one person and not necessarily good for the other person. So it takes this fine grained analysis, which I'm not great at doing, but I just had a recent one that in order to understand it requires a lot of detail. So it becomes an anthropological like thing of doing thick description rather than what we usually do is just take a superficial pairing of two observations and say, okay, that's an interesting coincidence, but you got to get to how it happens in the present. And you've got to also see how it evolves over time for each of the participants. And so I guess, you know, there's some really useful questions to ask yourself to, to be your own coach um, in unwrapping your coincidence. So what would some of your questions be, Bernie? Well, my first question is, we're getting near the end of this today, and I'd like to know what you got out of this conversation, um, and then I'll, try to be out at, then I'll try to answer your question, which is a very important question, but I'd like to hear, you know, you're a coach, you listen extremely well, you've been organizing, writing notes and stuff, what do you get, what do you get out of our conversation? A lot of stuff, well, yeah, it's a lot. So I've got a lot of notes, a lot of notes down here, but I think two, a couple of really important things for me. First, 
the mind and object, clarity around that. Good. Um, I think that that's very, very important. And then secondly, this division into uh, serendipity and synchronicity isn't necessarily helpful. And to, 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 so maybe sometimes categorization isn't that useful. And, and, and so meaning, of course, is. And so I guess we're driven straight back to, you know, questions that help you derive your own meaning from it. Because I know um, you believe this, and I think it too, that the person who's, it's good to talk about it with someone else, but the only person who can really understand what your coincidence is, is you. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can learn about it by talking with the other person involved with the coincidence. I just did a podcast, uh, my guest, uh, Nicole, and I had some coincidences right there in online uh, that really were pretty amazing. And I've, I've, I'm, I'm asking her, I don't know if she'll respond, but I'm asking her, what does, what does this, the three coincidences mean to you? My part in this is that I don't have a particular meaning I'm trying to impute to this, except that I'd like to publish what she wrote, what we happened between us in my Psychology Today blog. That's what I'd like to do. But what does it mean to you that we had these coincidences? So it becomes a, a potential dialogue to find the meaning that's not just mine, not just hers, but the meaning we have together. And those are really fun ones to do with somebody if the people are willing to do it. I was wondering whether useful questions would, would be around, you know, what's the context that you find yourself in? Um, what's the timing? Um, what's the larger work at play? The, the bigger thing that, that this that this might indicate and um what direction do you think it's showing you as just four kind of things to think about context history and direction it is showing you what was the other one context timing oh, time. direction and the bigger thing that it's showing you. Mm -hmm. Context is so, 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 so important. So, so, and you can describe the same coincidence uh, in different contexts and you get a different thing coming out. Um, like having a coincidence on a podcast versus having a coincidence in real life is a mm -hmm. different context. And, the, and they shape the way the uh, coincidence is interpreted. Uh, it, it, and that's so very, very important. And the history of the people getting to that place, yeah. Um, and direction it's showing you, I mean, in this case, with what I'm describing with Nicole, it's like, I don't know, except to say, write it up, because there's something good in what happened here. Uh, and the timing, that's a wonderful one. And I, I don't, the timing of it was so that I could have uh, a coincidence I could make an observation it's kind of strange and then it would be it would connect with what she was doing in her uh, life's work these days namely um, balancing the masculine and the feminine and this image I had uh, uh, was like of a balancing the masculine and feminine and that was two days before 
I saw her. So it's very important to be able to, or interview her. Those are, it's very important to have uh, good timing. There's a song called timing, Good Timing Brought Me to You uh, from the 50s. Uh, you have to have some timing to be able to make it happen. And that's a fun one to do because we get into what is time and how does time influence us. So that one's a, a very good one and a, and a hard one to be able to do. But you've gotten some good aspects, context, history, directions that's showing you and timing are very good questions to, to wonder about because they get the person more deeply into the story. So you get to do a thick description. But you didn't add, and I will add, what evolves over time. Maybe that's what you mean by timing, but I think you mean the coming together part of it. Yes, I kind of the one of the things that was like the bigger thing that this is showing you. Um, because direction is one thing, but there's a, you know, I, I think that we're, we're, we're all, we both agree that there's a kind of veil at large here and you're trying to rip the veil off and go, okay, yeah, what is it? <laughs> um, it's a very good um, woodcut uh, illustrating the same thing. Uh, Flammarion did it. Um, oh, by I just we're getting to the, the end, so I want to get a little bit uh, off a little bit. Um, do, you, do you remember a painting by I think Malay that was like called the Potato Eaters? Yes, yes. Well, it you were picking up the rocks brought that image right back to me because it looked like those guys in the fields bent over <laughs> grim it was hard work it was hard work <laughs> potato eaters so i haven't had that one for a long time and that's i mean i don't know it's not a coincidence but it was just kind of wanted to verify that uh that you recognize that image and what i like to do and is recognize the categories of types of coincidence. It's kind of like putting that together. But <clears throat> when somebody tells me a story, they, they like say, well, uh, this is so unique. Yeah, you've never heard this one before. Well, most of the time I've heard them before. Um, your father on the train with the valise, with the suit, with the suit, with the briefcase was done in a movie about a, a would-be novelist who wanted to find something to write about it, and he couldn't find it. Uh, and then he found this suitcase on a train that had a novel in it that this guy had lost and didn't know where it was. And so he took this novel in the suitcase and made it into a bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> These are tropes of human behavior that we have yet to be able to grasp because they seem so weird, but they aren't. They happen. And if it happened to you, it's one of the best things I can tell you I've learned from a coincidence. If, if you got a weird thing, like your daughter was born on your birthday, you know other women have had their daughters born on their birthday. So it becomes, uh, yes, a very interesting one and a kind of compelling one personally. But it happens like people dying on your birthday has happened with me. And then feeling the pain of my father at the same time on my birthday, that's a lower probability one, but still something that's going to happen when you combine the two. So I now look to think that if I have some brilliant idea, somebody else 
has thought about it, is thinking about it, or will soon think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's wrap. Let's wrap us up, Jess. What do you have? What are some of your final comments on this interviewing of me, mostly on this thing? Oh no, Bernie, I very much enjoyed um, talking to you, and um, hope that we get the chance to do it again. And I think this categorization is important because it will also give you a sense of what you are doing, and then you can widen your practice. You don't so, about me, me, or people generally. One, one, one can widen one. one's practice. Yeah. So if you go, oh, I just do this thing. Um, you could expand it to do those other things too. Well, what we're getting to in, uh, is the, can you increase the, the frequency of your meaningful coincidences, which you are an inveterate determiner to see if you can make it happen because you just like to do it. It's, it's a playful thing for you <laughs> as well as educational. And it reminds me of a uh, young man that I know now, um, called Carlin, uh, my son, uh, my younger son, he kind of like, to give you an example, we're in an art museum, he's about nine in in Washington, D.C., and there's a thing that says in the art museum, uh, don't touch this, red. He touched it. A big red button. It's a red button. He had to do it. Killing myself to not touch that button. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're doing it in a more socially acceptable way. They kicked us out of there as they should have. <laughs> that's what you're doing. I like doing it too. It's like poking it to see what happens. <laughs> well, thank you, Jess. Thanks thank you. Love. Thank you for suggesting this indirectly that we do this and we did it directly. And thank you very much for being on our board and uh, one of our coincidence ambassadors. It's a pleasure to be able to work with you and keep getting to know you better. Um, Thank you, Bernie. Um, Straight back at you.